Hello, everybody, and welcome to Indie Cult, the podcast where we discuss the struggles and learning experiences of independent artists and creative minds. I'm George, and with me today is... Raul Contreras. How is everyone doing right now? Well, I guess it's just us at this point. We're in quarantine. Let's, just, let's, wait, for, <laughs> let's wait for a response. Right. As the Jeopardy music plays. <laughs> So, um, Raul, you are um, a film fanatic, lifelong film fanatic, and you have recently decided that you are going to actually venture into the filmmaking by uh, starting uh, on a short film. Is that right? That's right. So, um, actually, and we should probably explain how we met at a certain point, but uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been into filmmaking and movies and TV shows and writing uh, most of my life, actually. And um, actually, I'm an immigrant. And when I came into this country uh, with my family, movies were sort of like the first way that I started learning the language in many ways, like movies and TV shows. And so from a ver very early age, I was just like consuming them at this really crazy pace. And um, then later on, I sort of wanted to get into filmmaking, but for a number of reasons, and we can get into them a little later um i didn't pursue it in college uh but i still you know i still wrote as much as possible even from a young age like short stories screenplays and plays um and now i'm sort of like revisiting it especially now that we're under quarantine i started like digging through all my old files and now that i actually have the time to sort of sit down and write something without being consumed by my other work um it's just a good time to revisit this so yeah and what is it like when you unearth things that you've written years and years ago? Do you look at it and, and is it a time capsule of like, wow, I can't believe it? Or is it more like, oh, my God, I can't believe I some wrote of it, this? It, it. It's a mixture of both. Like some of them, some of the stuff that some of the ideas I've jotted down, a lot of the screenplays that I've written that I've like, I have this entire file full of them. I'm like reading through them and I was just like, what was I thinking? Um, but I think for the majority of ideas, there's there's something there. Um and it's just the the screenplay just has to get reworked a lot. Now that's not to say that like when I was in college, uh, I studied media with a focus in political science because that was sort of like my second passion, um, politics and advocacy and things like that. But uh, in college, I I did take some film classes that counted towards my media major, and um, a lot of I, I had to do a lot of like really not so great short movies with like little DV cameras, I think, at the time, uh, with just a ton of limited resources. Uh, I went to Hunter College, so it wasn't like the, the film school that you go to or anything like that. So we had like very, very scrappy equipment to work with. Um, so I did do some shorts back then that I'm not proud of. Uh, and I think there's some floating around the internet on Vimeo or something, and I gotta find them. I think I found them. I'm just not gonna link it at all. And I'm gonna George, find I'm, them. I'm never gonna show you either. I'm gonna find them. Just one day, you're gonna wake up to a text message to a Vimeo link. I'm gonna see a, a fresh 20, 21 year old uh, Raul. <laughs> it was so embarrassing. Were you were you in them, or did you just write and direct them? I was in two of them, and then I think the third one. Um, 
I don't think I was in the third one, no. I think I was working with a classmate, but in one of them, uh, one of them I did on my own. I bought a DSLR. Like, I remember working at a, at a brush factory. It was, like, classic, no AC. It was a, it was that sort of stereotypical work that you would imagine in a factory, just making brushes, toothbrushes, hairbrushes, you name it. Industrial-sized brushes for, like, art shows it, it was just this obscure thing that i picked up and um i saved all this money to buy a dslr a t3i a canon and i decided to do a short um by myself with my girlfriend at the time and it was something i was so embarrassed about that i edited the whole thing i added music i showed like one friend and then i deleted it <laughs> and, and you deleted it yeah. so it doesn't even and exist it doesn't I, it might exist like i i have to probably dig into my hard drive and some other hard drives that I have lying around. Um, I think my sister might have the hard drive that it's on. But it was... I still have the screenplay somewhere as well. I think if I dig uh, through my stuff right now, I can find it. But it was basically about this finance bro who gets home. And it's really late. And he's frustrated. And all he wants is like a slice of pizza. And he orders pizza. And it's taking forever. And he's like calling people. And he calls the pizzeria that he ordered from and he's just like hey if you come here in less than like 15 minutes i'll give you x amount of money x amount of dollars uh to expedite it and the next day like after all his frustration he finds out that um the delivery guy got into a car accident trying to deliver this pizza like very fast and then from there like you just go on but it was just he feels like this extreme amount of guilt at the end um and so I deleted it right after. <laughs> so it's a drama. It was. It was a drama. It was. It was just obscure. I don't even like. Let's not even. That's as much as I'm willing to talk about it at this point. It was just so. It was just my first time using the DSLR, and I was like, "Let me see what I can do with it." It's gonna um, leak, bro. It's gonna leak. <laughs> it's gonna leak somewhere. Um, <laughs> but I mean, uh, I mean, we can I just say the way we were introduced to each other through our mutual friend Costa, he sort of prepared me as though this was going to be like an arranged marriage or something. He was like, no, you're going to like George. You're going to like George like way back in the day. And I was like, what? why? What's up? He goes, because he's into like movies and all this stuff, kind of like how you are. And I was like, okay. And I think it was like one of the t- first times we were all going to hang out together or something. And we could not stop talking about like Quentin Tarantino, Martin Scorsese, like all these different movies. And this is and what, like we were teenagers, right? We were, 16 yeah. years old or something like that. We, we were really yeah. young. It, it's, it's, it's fun when you meet someone who's into this obscure uh, art form known as the movies. You know, most people, most people <laughs> uh, don't, don't like movies, I'm pretty sure. Right. But what, but what I, but we spoke about it, it like Costa likes movies. But he like he doesn't speak about movies in the way that sort of we do or that some of our other friends do. Right. Like he'll be like, oh, that was a good movie. And then just leave it at that, you know, or that part in that movie was good. But we're just like, you know, that that line or we'll, we'll just get into the nitty gritty of just certain aspects yeah, of a movie. it's it's the love. It's 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 not to sound pretentious or anything like that, but there's there's degrees of appreciation. Right. Right. For right. movies, and I think there's different ways to look at movies. You can look at movies two ways, and movies are are both these things. But I think a movie is a a, a work of art, and it's also a work of entertainment. And right. I think most people probably view it as entertainment primarily. It's there to just have a good time, and that is what a movie is supposed to do. I mean, if a movie is not entertaining you, the movie has failed. But 
there's also that other level of there is intricacies that go into making this movie and there's subtext and there's symbolism and right. themes that are difficult to pick up on. I mean, I, I don't pretend to pick up on them the first time I see a movie, but when I like a movie, I go back to find that stuff because I'm interested in it in a, in a way that most people aren't. Just just like some, most people are, just like other people are into paintings, you know what I mean? Whereas for me, I'll look at a painting and I'll say, yeah, I, the red looks good, but I have no understanding of what it means or what it symbolizes or the brush strokes or anything like that. But someone else has that appreciation. Exactly. You know? So there's different degrees of, of viewing things. And, and I remember growing up um, and like there was always this emphasis on like stay away from your screens like books is what you're, you're supposed to be doing like you're supposed to be reading books all the time and things like that especially from like English teachers and um, any teacher that was sort of like you know movies and TV shows are just gonna turn your brain into mush right and to a certain and extent fun that's fun funnily enough before movies and TV that's what people used to say about books Exactly. And stop um, reading. It's going to turn your brain into mush. Go outside. Right. And, and I think just like books, it really depends on what you watch. Right. And I, I remember Absolutely. hated hearing that. And my parents even got to that point. But I remember when we first met, the other thing I really appreciated was I think we both spoke about wanting to do something with movies, want to have like wanting to have this creative outlet um at some point in our future but mm -hmm. it's not something that we wanted to sort of like take on and study in college right and i think part of it was we were both we we both come from like similar backgrounds in the sense that we don't come from like super rich parents or anything like that or our parents were able to like carve out a comfortable life without having a ton right um and for me, it was sort of like the experience of being an immigrant, not even first generation, like straight up immigrant from Chile, being like, I can't take the next steps and risk having an unstable life, an unstable life um, after my parents had sort of like sacrificed all this time and effort into this semblance of the American life that they were giving me. And I didn't have the privilege to be like, you know what, let me just drop everything and go broke for what would be a significant portion of your career to make it. Um, and that's not to say, you know, that some people go out there and do it no matter what. But I remember being of this mindset of like, I want to be financially independent in my future early on um, because my parents are getting older, because we're immigrants, um, that I can't make this the thing that I put at the forefront of my educational career to then enter my real career afterwards. Um, and so I think, I think you had some sort of similar reaction to that too, which was like, you wanted stability too, but you still wanted to pursue that passion somehow later in the future. Yeah. I mean, I think when, when you want to pursue the arts, whatever it may be, it doesn't have to be filmmaking. It could be anything. There is, it's, it's a bigger risk than other other endeavors you know there, there's avenues that you can take that can you know there's no guarantees in life but can get pretty close to a guarantee that you will have some sort of a stable financial situation you know if you go to college and you can study something in in, in business or finance or something like that you can pretty much know you can pretty much comfortably say i will get some sort of a job i will make some sort of a living i'll most likely be okay 
Um, but when you want to talk about the arts, like filmmaking, for example, which is what, what we're into, there's there's that risk of I'm going to go and pursue something that doesn't promise me anything. And And the truth is, having a degree from such and such film school doesn't even give you a path to filmmaking. Right. You know, it's not like you can say, okay, I'm going to major in filmmaking. And then when I'm done, I can go apply to Warner Brothers to direct movies. That's not going to happen. They don't care that you went to film school. Right. They want to know what your experience is and maybe who you know and what you've worked on. That's what matters. So. So. And at the time, for me, um, taking that risk of putting all my eggs in the filmmaking basket wasn't an option um, just because of, I mean, for things I don't want to get into right now, but just financial responsibilities that I had at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't able to, to jump in um, into the deep end on, on filmmaking, even though I wanted to. Um, and, and if I was lucky enough to have, uh, to come from a, to come from a family that had a lot of money that could support someone that could potentially fail. Right. Um, and you know, and the, the, the flip side of that coin is, well, you gotta, if you believe in yourself and all that and yeah, you yeah gotta, I mean, it, it, you gotta risk it all. If you really want it, you gotta risk it all. And, and I think, you know. It's easy to say that when it worked out for you. Right. It's e and it's easy to say that when you don't have those responsibilities that other people might have. Right. Um and I, I I wish that I could. Maybe maybe I didn't have the courage to. I don't I don't know whatever reason you want to call it. For me, I I wasn't able to make that decision. But eventually I got to a point in my life where okay, I I missed out on doing anything with film school, but but right now I'm I'm in a stage in my life where I'm I'm I I can dedicate the time and money to make short films and that's what my film school is. So I didn't go to film school when I was in college, but I'm making short films now and I'm in film school right now. I'm I'm learning, you know, the money I spent on that education, I'm spending on just doing and making a ton of mistakes but learning from them. Right. And I'm just taking a different route. Hopefully it'll work out for me, but you know, yeah. and we'll come the, back to that. Right. And the other thing is like, and, and you're right, there will be other people who say, if it's your passion, you would follow it nonstop until you actually achieved it. But a lot of that is, like you said, from folks who have actually achieved it. I, I remember when I was still in college, um, I was doing a bunch of different internships at the time and I was doing PR internships and like the nonprofit space, public relations in the nonprofit space and sort of advocacy space um, because that was my second passion. And I still am passionate about that. And I still want to do that work. But there was the, the need for that creative outlet. So I would also work as a PA or um, intern at a production company. It was a small production company in New York City. Um, and they focused on commercials and short films along with the occasional feature length film. Um, but... I remember working on a commercial and you're working these long, grueling hours, even for a commercial um, with and, and even from this one experience of working on an ESPN commercial, you're working with um, snobby talent and 
um, folks who can get mean real fast because I, I think these people were obviously not used to being told no their entire life and everything had to be yes. And so you run into some really sort of like nasty people on these small sets. Um, but the thing that jumped up to, out to me more, I, I, you know, I can deal with those personalities and I've dealt with them uh, in my current career. Um, but the thing that sort of unsettled me most was that even the folks that had a good reputation and had steady jobs lined up uh, for future projects that they were going to work on and some pretty big significant projects, um, even these folks had no idea what they were going to do the next day once this gig was up, right? Everything they relied on, their next gig was all word of mouth, right? So it was nothing secure. And these people were passionate and it was the choice that they wanted to make. But I remember meeting these people and loving the sense of camaraderie that we all had to actually complete this project. But then at the end of the day, feeling as though, you know, the, like you were jumping into the unknown and you weren't sure if you were going to have a stable future. And that scared the shit out of me. Um, but then I was just like, you know what, maybe there's a way where I can pursue the other things I'm passionate about and return to this. And just like you said, I, I've gotten to a point where, you know, um, I can do the thing that I'm not only passionate about that also provides stability in my life, but can return to this creative outlet at the same time. Um, and now while I've done sort of shorts previously in college, I think I can approach it with a little bit more confidence now. Um, and I've been writing a lot and that's the sort of space that I come from more often is, is writing. And it's what I love most right now because you have this sort of like empty canvas where you can go everywhere. Uh, but I'm glad that I've taken a moment to return to it now. And it feels right at the end of the day. I don't think, I think part of uh, like, I don't know about you, but I remember and I still do this. I often stress about when certain creatives make it in their lives. And I'm always looking at how old they were when they created their first short or created their first movie. And that adds a layer of anxiety. But I'm slowly learning to, to, to sort of back away from that mindset and still approach this with confidence. You know what I mean? The thing is, with, with, with that type of stuff, I find you, you, always, you always pay attention to what, what you're scared of. At least I do. For example, like... The thing is, people find success in this industry at different stages in their life. And I can find a ton of examples of, of filmmakers that I, that I idolize who had already made feature-length films that were successful at my age or younger. You know, I hear that Steven Spielberg was 25 when he made Jaws or, or that... Right. Um, or that, or that Landis was, was uh, 24 when he made An American Werewolf in London. And I'm just like... Well, well, fuck, like, am I, is it too late? And it's not that I'm old, but you hear like these people who just got a start so young and you just feel like you're left behind. But then you hear about other people who didn't, didn't be, didn't make it until they were 50 years old, you know? And then you're like, okay. But I always focus on, for me, it's, it's hard for me to see that. I always see the, the people that are ahead of me, right. you know, which, which I guess is good. Cause you also want to, you want to, strive for that 
you want to say it kind of motivates you maybe to say, oh, this person is this person. I'm not where I wanted to be at this age. I better get my shit together. Right. Rather than saying, oh, that guy did it when he was 50. I got plenty of time. I'll fucking relax. You know, so I guess it, it's di- it's different. But um, yeah, sometimes I think about that and I get stressed out. And I even think when I was 25, if I had to make Jaws, I don't think I'd be able to do it. Exactly. Exactly. You know, um, but at the same time, you know, it's not like Jaws was Spielberg's first movie, which is even worse because I don't even think at 20 I could have made any of uh, any right. of the movies Spielberg was making. Right. And and, it, it, you know, it, and I still I still get that feeling. And even when it's not sort of, oh, I haven't done it, it, because I think I think it's unfair to say that we haven't done anything with our lives. I think we've made it pretty far early on in our careers um, for the other things that we do outside of the creative space. Um, and but I but I what I will say is, especially when it comes to to writing on my end, um, even if it's a short, even if it's um, a feature or a play or a short story. I, I get this sense of embarrassment almost where I'm just like, why am I doing this? You know, I, I'm like, part of me is like the ship has sailed at this point. And then I have to keep reminding myself that no, Hey, like, like any sort of creative thing, like anyone who might write poetry, anyone who might paint George W. Bush paints, you know, it's a, it's a hobby at the end of the day. You know, Hitler and painted that's the... too, though. <laughs> and, <laughs> and and uh, and and I think that approach is helping me in many ways to to actually get in front of the computer and to write and not be ashamed or embarrassed about it. That it's a what, hobby. What, and what, ma- yeah. what makes you ashamed? What are you ashamed of? I don't know. I, I like I I like the ideas I have, but while I'm writing it, I'm just like, there's no way that this is good. Or I'm like, here's this disillusioned 27 year old writing a play or a screenplay, whatever the case may be. And I keep reminding myself that, and it sort of goes back to this idea that others who are in the industry and do this for real are much older, you know, and have done this earlier in their life. Um, And I'm trying to play catch up. And then I have to sort of reverse that mindset. And it takes a lot. It takes a lot to sort of, again, sit in front of your computer and remind yourself that this is a hobby and then sort of get back into the swing of things, you know? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I have that all the time as well. Um, And I do find solace because I do hear, frequently I hear uh, other directors and other, other writers, other filmmakers say that, that self-doubt like they have that too all the time Mm -hmm. you know and i think it's i think it's normal to have that um i mean i can't speak from a level of any real experience but every every time i'm getting ready to shoot a short i have that thought i have that thought of like should i not do this one maybe this one is a waste of time but then i bring myself back and say even if it sucks it doesn't matter i'm i'm it's part of the learning process. Right. I mean, even you and I had a little bit of back and forth uh, with this next thing that we're going to do together um, uh, where I was just like, I don't know if I should do this. And I think I texted you a few times after we had shared the script with um, so a short script that we're working on. I shared it with you and then you shared it with Evan. And um, I remember even after you shared the screenplay, I was just like, does this feel right? Should we do this? You know, and you were just like, why are you questioning yourself? Like, this is all practice, consider it practice. And, and then you'll go on to do other things. Um, 
so that was like helpful and you're right you know um i think a lot of the filmmakers who have made it at whatever age they made it they they part of the reason why they made it this far in their careers because they aggressively pursued it and tried getting these things on film whatever story they had um without fear or hesitation and so i think we have to do the same thing you know i would actually say that i don't think they did it without fear and hesitation i think they did it despite the fear and hesitation there you go and i think that's the difference yeah yeah um and you know i i I mean i feel like a fraud anytime i say i'm a filmmaker just because i don't feel that that's the truth just because it's not a real career for me it's like you said it's I mean, it's basically, it is a hobby right now because I don't make any money from it. If anything, I, I lose money. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's just like, it's, anyone... just, it's something that I like doing and it's something I'm, I'm passionate about doing. And, and it's something that I would like to someday be able to do for a living. And I'm not, my, my dream is not, I want to be the next, you know, whatever, Steven Spielberg or the next Martin Scorsese or whatever. Like, that's not, that's not what my goal is. My goal is to one day be able to just make a living off doing, off, off making, making films or being in in the entertainment industry. It doesn't matter to me to be the best or the most famous or to win any awards. If I can pay my rent and live comfortably making movies, to me, that's, I've, I've achieved my dream. And, and it's also, you know, having, having the ability to, to add your voice out there right like to have your voice heard out there through the stories you tell um and i mean when when folks ask me what i like to do for fun or something i get embarrassed to say that i like to write and i was so embarrassed to share that with folks with the exception of some of my close friends who have known me for years um it's embarrassing to share that because i think a lot of i just I have a feeling people think, oh, this kid is so disillusioned. And then I have to remind myself that, like, even in my career, I'm just, you know, I'm going to say it. I worked in New York City politics for a while. I was, I had to write op-eds at the time. I had to write statements and stuff like that. So even then, I was sort of, like, trying to learn um, how to improve my writing and how to sort of apply that writing in a different setting. Um, so, yeah, uh, I consider myself a writer in many ways and, uh, and it's hard to get over that sort of initial embarrassment or, you know, hesitancy to hesitancy to embrace that fact. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I I get it. I don't think, I don't think it should be embarrassing. Um, I mean, I wouldn't say I'm ever embarrassed necessarily, but it's more so that I, I feel, I do feel a type of way about it, especially when I meet someone new and they're like, oh, what do you, what do you do? Or, or what do you like to do? I hardly ever say that I make short films. And it's not because I'm embarrassed. It's just because, I don't know, it just feels like, it just, sometimes it just feels like such a bullshit thing to say. It right. feels like such an eye roll, you know? Like, oh, here we go. This is the guy that thinks that um he's some sort of art house you know he understands movies the way in a way that other people don't and blah 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 and i'm not i'm not snobby at all like i don't care about what your movie taste is like if you want to talk you know whatever like if transformers is your favorite movie like i'm not going to say oh my god big blockbuster trash i'm not going to say that or, or nor am i going to think that 
you know, but I think like when you, when you start to say that you're in like that space, people kind of make assumptions about you, I think. And maybe that's bad for me to say, cause it sounds like I'm making assumptions about people making assumptions, but that's just the, that's my own insecurity actually speaking, not, not, and not a reflection on anybody else. That's actually a reflection on me that that's what I think. No, I, 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 I hear you and I feel the same way. And I felt the same way when I was in college taking a few film courses to meet my media studies major requirements. And in these film classes, we would watch um, old movies that I had already seen and stuff like that. Um, and there were there were folks that would sort of like try to test you on your knowledge, right? Where they would be like, oh, is this your first time watching this and all this shit? And it was just like, it was it was annoying to be around. And you had to whip out your knowledge too at times. And it was just this weird environment. And I think any any sort of, I, I think any field where you find people who are passionate about an issue, it sort of lends itself to that sort of mentality. And you're, you try to get yourself out of it. And sometimes you just have to embrace it. You gotta, you gotta, if you're, if you're dealing with people who are just like, hey, I know more than you. You either got to brush it off or you're going to be like, okay, let's, let's talk about it. You know, let's see what you know about this stuff, you know? So you, are, were you saying that people would try to like condescend to you? Like, oh, this is your first time seeing this? Like you haven't exactly. already seen this? Exactly. Like, yeah. There, there were, there were people who were just like, oh, you can't get into filmmaking unless you're, you have, like, you haven't watched this movie and you want to get into filmmaking and stuff like that. Or you haven't heard about this director and you want to go into filmmaking. It was just a lot of a lot of bullshit like that in uh in those classes honestly if there's a movie that i that i really love or i think is really powerful and i encounter someone who hasn't seen it even if it's a super well-known or well-respected movie i get excited i'm like oh my god you haven't seen it i'm so jealous of you i wish i hadn't seen it so i could see it for the first time right you know i'm not gonna be like oh my god you haven't seen you know so and so like it doesn't it doesn't I don't think that's true. I don't think that there's a curriculum of movies you have to see in order to be interested in filmmaking. That's I think that's absurd. Exactly. And um, what, I'm curious, what was the first movie that you watched where you were just like, I kind of dig this. Like, I want to get into movie making and and writing, whatever. Um, I think there was there was different points where I, I had um, different responses to different movies. I think I think the first time I ever saw a movie that I really, that I really like, like I always liked movies as a kid and I would watch any movie. Like to me, there were no bad movies. Like I had no concept of good movies and bad movies. I would watch a bad movie five times and I didn't know it was bad. To me, it was a movie and every movie was entertaining when I was a kid. But I would say like the first time I saw a movie, there was two times when I saw movies that I felt like it made an impression on me. Um, the first time was when I saw Star Wars, just because when, when I saw it, like it was just, for me, it was very awe-inspiring, that movie. Um, and I'm talking about the first Star Wars, A New Hope, episode mm-hmm. four. Um, that was the first time when I, when I saw a movie and I couldn't stop thinking about it after I had seen it. You know, I, I'm little at this point, right? And then the second time, um, again, probably around the same age, I saw Superman, the movie. Mm-hmm. And like that movie was able to capture like a real sense of 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 like wonderment, right? Like the character of Superman and the way he was portrayed in that movie, right? By uh, Christopher Reeve, you know, under the direction of of Richard Donner. 
And then after that, I would say it was a lot of Spielberg stuff that was really mm-hmm. starting to make influence on me. Like Spielberg has this really unique way to really bring you into a movie with like a rich history that doesn't exist outside of the movie, like movies like E.T. and like Jurassic Park and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Like those were like the first Spielberg movies I saw. E.T. was a movie I basically like destroyed the VHS tape of that, (laughs) just watching it over and over again. Yeah. Just And I didn't know what it was, right? I'm like, you know, who knows, like five, six years old, I'm watching E.T. Like I don't understand, but I understand the feeling that I was getting from it. Right. Um, and I would say when I started getting older, I started watching a little bit more mature content, started branching out into Martin Scorsese, right. like Goodfellas and like those movies. And I would say like the first time, um, the first time I really was like, holy fuck, like it must be incredible to like the, the actually the first time I, I saw a movie and I thought I'd like to be able to do this, I think was when I saw Pulp Fiction. When I was like a preteen, maybe 11, 12, I saw Pulp Fiction. Um, And again, I couldn't, I didn't know what it was, but there was just something about the way the movie was crafted and and the writing and the nonlinear storytelling. I hadn't seen that before. That was the first time I had seen something like that. And, And when I saw that movie, that's when I was like, this is like a master class. That's, that's how I felt when I saw it. And that, and at that point I was like, I'd like to make, Movies and, and you can see that's around the time when I started making these shitty fucking videos. Right. And uh, our friend Gosta can show you the fucking bullshit that we made around <laughs> that time. Just utter trash. We actually dug up a, a DVD a few months ago before, you know, before the pandemic and quarantine hit. And we were watching it. And I was just sitting there <laughs> with my face in my palms like, holy shit. You know, 11, 12 years old making right. sketches and shit. Um, but yeah, for me, I would say those were like the stages of like getting into, into yeah. the appreciation of, of movies. What about for you? I think, I mean, you know, I, I always watched movies like, uh, I think my parents had the entire VHS collection of, uh, Disney movies, the Snow Whites, you know, Beauty and the Beast and stuff like that. Um, and even Toy Story. Um, but it was when I got older, I was probably in elementary school. I want to say I was like between the ages of seven to 10, maybe uh, my dad and I would go to the library and would get a like, I'd get a book and then he'd get a movie for us to watch. Right. As a family, sometimes it would just be me and him and he would always get, he was, he's to this day, he's obsessed with aliens and like alien conspiracy theories. Like he, he, if you look at his Netflix queue, it's all that sort of like history channel, ancient right. aliens ancient type aliens. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And he's always reading a conspiracy book. So he would get movies like E.T. or I remember one of the early ones was uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. So a lot of the Spielberg stuff. But even then, it was just like you said, it was the mood it created and how you felt while watching it. But it wasn't necessarily something that you were just like, oh, I want to make something like this. But a few like either within that time period or a year or two later, maybe when I was like 10, 11, I think he showed me. Uh, young Frankenstein and I not only became obsessed with Gene Wilder uh, and like sought his movies out even even movies like see no evil hear no evil while I didn't understand maybe the premise of the story or or, like the entire storyline there was something about Gene Wilder that I loved right and so I just sought out his movies but I also sought out Mel Brooks 
and I was I was obsessed with Mel Brooks. Um, and uh, we would just watch those movies all the time, like Silent Movie, uh, History of the World Part One, mm-hmm. uh, The Producers. Um, but Blazing then it, Saddles or Blazing Saddles, and it wasn't until probably later than that probably when i was in middle school or something um that i sort of i I learned that this was something that you could do as a career right as a profession and i sort of wanted to do do this a little bit more and at the time i had a really good friend shout out to patrick sakamoto i sort of spoke to him and i was like i kind of want to make movies in the future like i want to be a director and writer like i want to do this and he was just like Oh, cool. And I think I had just watched the Godfather trilogy with my father. Um, and he actually introduced me to that. He was just like, I just want you to know that this is a movie. Like, you're going to see some stuff in this, blah, blah, blah. And it wasn't even that bad compared to some of the stuff that I was watching at the time. Um, but your dad was like, this is some real yeah, shit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and this is the man who introduced me to Tales from the Crypt, the HBO series, pretty early yeah. on in life. Um, so... Uh, then I sort of told my friend Patrick this, and he goes, have you ever watched Goodfellas? And I was like, no. And at the time, I was sleeping over at his house, and I still remember this. DirecTV, the dish went out because it was, like, storming, and, like, I think some of the electricity wasn't working or something like that. And he was just like, you have to watch this movie. So we went to his basement, and he put on a VHS copy of Goodfellas, and I became upset. Like, I think I bought the DVD a day or two later watched it like two other times showed my mom showed my dad showed my sister and then after that i like gave it to my uncle my aunt and i was like you gotta watch this and that's when i started venturing into martin scorsese and watching all that stuff and then brian de palma like just that's when i started like really digging into movies a bit more um and uh then i then that's when i started writing too um and i also went through this phase of being obsessed with horror movies so a lot of what i wrote at the time were like these stupid little horror movies that were basically ripoffs of the texas chainsaw massacre franchise which was <laughs> it still to this day it's like my favorite horror movie franchise um even the corny ones with like matthew mcconaughey which little people know about outside of the horror movie world and that's when i started like looking into like what a career looks like and you know it was intimidating. I think when I told my parents that I wanted to venture into this, they were just like, oh, shit. You know, <laughs> they were like, yeah. where did we go wrong? Uh, but then they encouraged it. Like, um, the way I got into uh, this small production company in New York City is my father was a chauffeur. And the family that he chauffeur, chauffeured for, like, the son-in-law of his boss was this producer guy. And then he got me an internship there. And um it was a learning experience but um yeah that was sort of like the 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 way i discovered movies and the profession of filmmaking that's really interesting and this was at what age i was about i think it was between the ages of seven to ten when i watched young frankenstein for the first time and got into mel brooks and then probably 11 to 13 was when I started watching, I, I think, grittier stuff, you know? Um, yeah. When I started reading a little bit more about what movies were and some of the greats. Also, my venture into horror movies, too. But, um, yeah, and Goodfellas was at the tail end to that. 
so when you when you decided that or when you had the, the thought that I'd like to maybe uh, consider this as, a, as an option for me, that was at what age? I was probably around like 14, 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. For me, um, what's funny is it took me a while to realize. I mean, I guess I always realized it. I just never really thought about it. But it took it took me it took it a, it took a while for it to dawn on me that people make movies besides the actors on screen. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just because it's like these are like the unseen people, just the names at the end of the movie that right. you, you know, as a kid you don't pay attention to. I I I I'm not joking. The way I found out that director was even a thing was I have the poster to Young Frankenstein, and mm -hmm. I bought that when I was really young, and I had gotten it from this mall on a pier down in Manhattan, um, and I got it and I framed it, and I was looking at all the credits, you know, Gene Wilder and stuff, and then it said directed by Mel Brooks, and then that's sort of like the thing where it was just like, what is that, right? And you right. ventured into it a bit more. Um, but you're right, it, it, you don't know about it, right? You're sort of like, how the hell you know does this even take yeah place? which is why like i wanted to be i wanted to be an actor and i still i still like acting i still think it, it's super fun and it's something i i do like doing but that's what i wanted i was like oh i, I want to make movies and the only way to make movies is to be an actor that was like my thought right. process right that's that's all there is there's no other job you know um and i think it was when i started doing those little sketches um you know when i was a kid and i was thinking and i was like writing the sketches and then I was thinking about where the camera goes. And then I was like, well, wait a second. Do the actors do that? It, it was like the first time I actually consciously thought, wait a second. Somebody writes the stuff that they're saying. They're not improvising. Right. Somebody wrote this stuff. There's cameras. There's a camera there. There's a camera there. It's all these different. That's when I started thinking about it. Just because I started, just because I did a, let's do a bullshit sketch where we just put the camera stationary. And yeah. we just kind of like did this thing. And I, that's when I started realizing that some this is prepared. And that's when I started doing research and saying, okay, these are my favorite movies. And I was like, oh, wait a second. E.T. and Jurassic Park is from the same director. What does that mean? <laughs> and it's like, oh, shit. Like this person has done all these other movies that I really like. And that's kind of how when I started realizing who these people were, who a writer was, who a director was, who, who the producers were, who a cinematographer was. And it's like, oh, those white letters on the black screen that go on for 10 minutes after the movie ends, that means something. Right. <laughs> you know? Um, and, you know, I guess I always knew that. It was just never on the forefront of my mind. It wasn't ever anything you ever thought about. And then right. I started thinking, well, if I were to be an actor, that would mean I can only be involved in movies that I can act in. But if I'm a writer or a director, that means I can make movies that right. I don't need to act in. And that kind of like blew the whole thing open for me. That, that made it limitless. That made it seem like it doesn't matter. Like I can make a movie about anybody and I don't have to be in it if I'm not right for it. You know what I mean? And that kind of started changing things where I wanted to get into other aspects of it besides the acting aspect. Right. And... um you know what's crazy for me? The, the, the thing, when I started venturing into a, um, looking into what it takes to actually make a movie, the thing that sort of changed my mind almost immediately was, or not changed my mind, but made me think a little more rationally about like the steps I wanted to take in my career generally, was when I started looking at how much equipment cost at the time. And um, 
this is before this is a little bit before the digital revolution at the time and these film cameras were like and i and i had no idea that like at the time i had no idea 16 millimeter existed or 8 millimeter at the time it was just like 35 millimeter that's a movie that's it right right and you're just looking at the the cost of everything and you're talking about movies the cheapest movie with like kevin smith how much did that cost like five thousand dollars or something like that and he had to max out all his thirty thousand thirty thousand the whole movie the whole movie thirty thousand the whole movie and he had to max out his credit cards and i was like where the hell am i gonna get that and the thing that sort of made max out the credit cards right right (laughs) and and the thing that um there was this moment where it seemed like it was within the realm of possibility and it was when i watched 28 days later and Danny Boyle had used DV cameras at the time. They were Sony DV cameras and you got that grainy look. And that was also one of the moments where you're just like, you can use these tools to your advantage to create a feeling, right? Because you watch 28 Days Later and it's like this really gritty feeling. It's imperfect, but it just adds to the overall mood and tone of the movie. And at that point, I was just like, maybe this is doable at a smaller scale uh, even though that was a pretty large movie but when it came to equipment it was just like maybe this is doable uh and then the digital revolution happened um and it seemed more within your grasp but i i have to say i do i've been watching the short films that you um evan uh and evan have been making the spinning reels and like right off the bat with seeker um it was sort of like okay you're you're really using every aspect of filmmaking in a way that most student films that i've seen um in and out of college don't fully take advantage of if you if you watch when i was in college and you watched a lot of the short films that film majors were making at the time a lot of them didn't have any dialogue a lot of them, I think, focused more on camera movement rather than the lighting within a movie. And you could tell that each person who was making a short focused on one aspect of filmmaking. But when it comes to your stuff, it's sort of like you're lo- you're looking at the whole thing completely. And Evan's a really good cinematographer. Um, and you're also willing to work with dialogue, right? I think a lot of student filmmakers are so afraid and this is someone from the outside looking in at this point right i can't say i i I didn't make a film i have but i'm totally ashamed of it so i'm saying from an outsider looking in and from a person who watches short films all the time i mean like i sent you like a million of them while i was on this horror movie binge during quarantine i was just like whoa this (laughs) look at these short films um i think folks are afraid to play with dialogue because they're afraid to record right sound and it's i think seeker is a pretty good indication of why people are afraid of dialogue right Right. the the sound quality on on that short is abysmal right but it was still like it was still there i think people will find a way to look past that stuff as long as you're able to grasp them with other elements too and that's what you're seeing in a lot of your shorts and like i said in a lot of other people's shorts it's mostly just like visuals or um uh, less on story or or it's dialogue and they don't move their camera it's like all these different things and 
and there's you could tell that there's this sort of fear to take it further that's not to say that there aren't amazing short films that i've seen that i'm just like holy shit that was good this is the next martin scorsese but the majority of them is not what your film is right like the majority of them are lacking the things that i've seen in your movies and it's pretty awesome what you've been able to do so far you know it, on you. film i appreciate you saying you. that um i think i think is it's like i'm not i'm not afraid i guess i'm not afraid to fail in the movies that i make i'm not trying to mm-hmm. play it safe um it's not like i'm like okay i don't want to record audio because it's not going to be good or i'm not sh- i'm not confident in it so let me just try to find something to make that doesn't have audio it's like i don't want to make a movie that doesn't have audio or doesn't have dialogue you know um and i don't want to why and why would i want to why would i make a movie that i don't want to make it doesn't make that doesn't make sense to me you know i'd rather say i tried it and i failed rather than to say i'm afraid to try it because i might fail you know and and that might work out for me that might not i don't know uh i'm i mean i'm i'm very appreciative of the kind words that you said um and it's like you know i've gotten i've gotten mixed reaction with that stuff like um like the second short film I did, Pokers, for example, um, you know, someone said like, oh, like dialogue is really hard. Like you shouldn't, you shouldn't try to do dialogue. And I'm like, that's literally a reaction I got. I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, okay, like you didn't like the dialogue in it. That's fine. But to tell me like I shouldn't do it because it's hard, that doesn't make any right. goddamn sense. And the dialogue was really stylized, but that's exactly my point. I think so many people are are afraid to do that because of the technical aspects associated with trying to get that into their movies. That's number one. But also it is hard. Like it's hard to write dialogue. Um, even as a person myself, like it's hard when you're writing uh, dialogue for multiple people, it's hard to differentiate other folks. You know, it's hard not to write the same character in just diff- with different, it- it's hard not to write the same character under different names, right? Like it's hard to find different inflections in their speech and, and make them unique. But um, but this idea that you shouldn't add dialogue into your shorts is just it it it, it just it, it's 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 like you said a uh, a uh, um a fear of failure, but it's also practice. And I think I think you did a pretty good job on that. I mean, that's not to say it's perfect, right? But no, it's it is, not perfect. I mean, how can it? It can't be perfect, right? But I it don't is expected to be perfect. But it is venturing into into territory that a lot of other short filmmakers are afraid to venture in. And that's what I like about them, you know? And boy, I got, I got some bad news for that guy that criticized my dialogue in pokers. Cause the next one that I got, that's come down, that, that, <laughs> that was supposed to have been made already. Whoo. They don't shut up for a second. <laughs> <laughs> that's what, but that's good. That, that Like I remember being in class and being like, I I'm missing, like I miss the dialogue. Right. I mean, some of the best some of the best movies are carried by that. What the- well, I think that it, go- it goes back to why, I, like I said, Pulp Fiction made such a big impression on me. If, if the dialogue of Pulp Fiction was not the dialogue of Pulp Fiction, I don't think I would have I don't think that movie would have made such an impact on me. And I think that's probably why I, I gravitate to making movies or to writing movies that that have a lot of dialogue, because I'm right. I'm not trying to copy anybody, but I'm trying to say like that that those are the types of movies I like. So I want to make those types of movies. And and it really it really depends on uh, the overall mood that 
the other elements of filmmaking create, right? Because if you if you just take a Quentin Tarantino script and you have like Michael Mann direct it or something like that, it just wouldn't make sense. Because who who like Uma well, Thurman? I mean, Tony Scott did it, right? True Romance. But 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 even that that's highly stylized. True Romance, right? But I'm saying like someone like Michael Mann who makes really sort of gritty down to earth movies because there's there's a certain element to Quentin Tarantino where it's just like it's not as down to earth as other filmmakers with the exception of I want to say maybe Reservoir Dogs. But like Pulp Fiction, for instance, when Uma Thurman gets up from the table when she's having uh, that burger um, with uh, uh, with John Travolta and she gets up and she goes, I'll be back faster than two shakes of a lamb's tail no one talks like that you know but but i mean for that's some a real reason, expression at some point somebody right. spoke like that right but for some or when reason she goes don't be uh and then like the square comes up i i think i think tarantino's movies are like they're very much this is a movie they yeah. don't pretend to not be a movie they don't pretend to be something that's he really makes it happening. work yeah it, it works with the other elements that he's using too like the overall feel of that movie with the like even if you take the dialogue out it 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 does have this sort of like it does lift lift itself from reality a bit even while you're watching it without the dialogue like it, it just the over it, all you got to do is open the suitcase and just shine a golden light into the guy's face and all of a sudden it's like no this isn't our world we're in yeah. right um and uh and he he's just a master of that, but I think he he uses that dialogue within the space he's creating with the other elements of filmmaking. You just gotta keep doing it. Like I like I reiterating what I said earlier. I'm this is this is film school for me. I'm learning, right. you know. And maybe 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 I'll learn that I'm not good at writing dialogue. You know, maybe that's that's the lesson I'm gonna take away. But I'm not gonna just give up because maybe it didn't work once. If it doesn't work three twice or three times or four times or five times or six times, then maybe I'll say, hmm, maybe, maybe I'm not good at dialogue. Maybe, and maybe that might mean I should give up on dialogue, or maybe that means I just gotta work a lot harder yeah. to get good at dialogue. You know what I mean? And th- th- that that's all I can really say about that. I mean, any criticism is not gonna deter me from moving in that direction if that's the direction I want to move in. I'm not gonna make a movie I don't want to make just because it'll be easier. Right. All right, so um, thanks, Raul. I hope to have you on again soon. Of course, and you stay safe, sir. You stay safe as well, doing this remote. Follow us at Spinning Real Films on Instagram, Spinning Real F on Twitter, or email us at spinningrealfilms at gmail.com. That's Spinning Real, R-E-A-L, not R-E-E-L, R-E-A-L. Anything to add? I'm on Twitter. What's your Twitter? Um, it's just Raulito, uh, which is R-A-U-L-I-T-O, 182. That is my um, tag. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So you could follow us or you could follow Raul. And most importantly, join the cult.
prevent a disaster. Scope your walk and cadavers. Make sure to study and learn every one of his patterns. Never work for Mr. Boo friends of the crib. Never sit in jail or you'll end up in jail. Murder deserves attention. Never give a cold shoulder. Be articulate. You must plan and observe. If you decide to be scrapped, erase your print and registration to the gap. You better stay off of the map. Decide to slice with a knife. Make sure to strike by the law against the spots. That will surely terminate his life. Choose to smother the creep. You better cover his screams. Any peep to hear a peep. We'll bring you to the feet. A clean scene is always the best. So the next time you are put to the test, remember what I said. Pick your cool tool and follow the rule. Or read the fool. Now follow these steps and do. If you'd like to murder, these are the steps. Follow each carefully and place the check. Knife or death, become a lifeless cat. Click, clap, all nine lives black. If you'd like to murder, these are the steps. Follow each carefully and place the check. Knife or death, become a lifeless cat. Click, clap, all nine how to get this shit professionally done You should have a tube screwed at the tip of your gun Time night, no sun, more thought, there's more fun People pull the trigger and now we just begun Make it look like he did it himself Like he did it, scream help Take a shot, and pump it with his shells Make sure vets can tell Or they'd be on your tail Cause when it's murder, it ain't cheap for bail Be sure you know what to do No evidence that you have James without a clue Asking who Now might as well add some tips to these scripts You can fill up the clips and pop your gas till it clips have an extra blade in case the jack got conflict. You can't fuck up, there's no rewind like a harflick. Be clean, you can't spread the blood like an animal. If you wanna be a pro, listen to the murder manual. If you'd like to murder, these are the steps. Follow each carefully and place the check. Knife or death, become a lifeless cat. Click, clack, all nine lives black. If you'd like to murder, these are the steps. Follow each carefully and place the check. Knife or death, become a 